Thanks for listening to the Aspire Church podcast. Visit us at aspirejacks.org to access additional resources or to learn more about the ministries of Aspire Church. I'm so glad you're joining us for the third Sunday of Advent. We're continuing our series called Joy to the World, obviously based on a familiar Christmas carol. In fact, it's a Christmas carol the church has been singing for over 300 years. So we're taking this Advent season to just look at what does it mean to bring joy to the world? What is this song really about? Now, when I was uh, just starting out in ministry, I was pretty sure that I was going to go into music ministry and just do music and lead worship for all my career. Um, in fact, I started out here at this church with Eddie as my boss, which he is, um, he likes to remind me of that a lot of times, that, that when I started, he was my boss. Uh, but I was fortunate enough to have several folks who were great mentors to me when I started leading music. And one of the things, uh, an older gentleman by the name of Bill Straup, uh, who's since gone on to be with the Lord, told me, he said, when you lead uh, uh, songs in the church, he said, people are notorious for leaving out the third verse of every hymn. That's always the verse that you skip. Whenever you sing in church, you sing the first, second, and fourth. You always skip the third. Um, And he said, but the third verse, Bill would say, the third verse is the verse that has the most important theology a lot of times. So we always skip it when we sing it, but it's got really important theology. The third verse of joy to the world also has really important theology, and we also skip it a lot. And I know why we skip it, because it doesn't sound very Christmassy. So we're going to put it on the screen, and you don't have to sing it, but you are going to read it with me, all right? So let's read it together. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And immediately you know why we don't sing that one as much. Because it doesn't feel very warm and fuzzy. It actually talks about thorns and curses in it. And it doesn't seem very warm and Christmassy at Christmas time. But let me tell you why this verse is so important. Because it reminds us of how we can find joy at Christmas time. And it's not by ignoring all the hard things in our life, but it's by inv- actually by recognizing the difficulties in our life that may be keeping us from experience the full, experiencing the full joy that God has for us. This verse of joy to the world actually addresses our biggest problem, and it also talks about our greatest hope. Our biggest problem is this curse that seems to plague us. You know it, you feel it. There are times in your life where you have felt like no matter what you did, you could not escape some curse that must have been placed on your life. Uh, If if it's something involving your work or something involving your family, uh, it's like a little black cloud that follows you around and you think you're the only one, but I got news for you. We all feel that. There are times we all feel like there's this curse that follows us around. It's because we were born into a condition that, that the whole world finds itself in, and that condition is the result of sin and the curse that comes as a consequence of sin. So let's talk about the curse to start with, and then we're going to look at the main passage. We're going to be in Isaiah 40 in just a minute, but before we get there, I want to look at Genesis chapter 3 to see where did this curse come from that this verse of joy to the world talks about. The origin of the curse can be found in Genesis 3, beginning in verse 17. You know, God told Adam and Eve, don't eat You can do anything you want, just don't eat off of this one tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they did the very thing they weren't supposed to do. And here is the consequence. Here's what God said. And and to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. 
In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Now I want you to notice something interesting about this. God does not say to Adam that you are cursed because of what you've done. God says the ground is cursed because of you. In other words, something happened when we made the decision, and when I say we, I do mean us, because we've all been confronted with this opportunity to determine for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. That's the sin that Adam and Eve fell into. And as a consequence of that sin, God says everything is changed. The whole landscape of creation has been altered because sin entered the picture. And the scope of the curse is universal. From the minute you started breathing, you were at a disadvantage in this world. You were at a disadvantage because maybe the family you were born into and some of the generational sins that existed there. You may have been at a disadvantage because of the country you were born into or the culture you were born into. But we all are born, in, born into this situation, this curse that seems to cover the entire planet as a consequence of sin. And then we add to it ourselves, don't we? By choices and decisions we make to contribute to the problem. And so this idea that there is this curse that extends across the whole world. And this is the idea that that Christmas says Jesus has come to address the curse that we live under. Now, thousands of years after God said these words to Adam and 700 years before Jesus was born, there was a prophet by the name of Isaiah. And Isaiah was given a vision from God and a message to the people of God. Now, at this time that Isaiah was living, the people of God were living in exile. They had been carried off by the Babylonians away from their home uh, and far, to faraway places. Some of their family members had died. They had gone through terrible persecution. And that even as Isaiah is writing this, these people are in captivity in, the, in Babylon. And here is the message that God sent to Isaiah about this curse and about this condition that the Israelites found themselves in, but we still find ourselves in today. This is what, this is what Isaiah said to them. And we are going to see in this how Jesus comes to reverse the curse by doing three things, by offering us comfort, by demanding a change, and by bringing clarity. So let's look at each of these. Isaiah chapter 40, verses one, one and two first, Jesus offers comfort. Listen to what it says. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, let me remind you, when Isaiah is writing this, the people of Israel are that, at that time in captivity in Babylon. And what is God saying to the people of Israel? He's saying, comfort, take comfort. God is mighty to save. He sees you where you are. Now, fast forward 700 years at the time of Jesus, and the nation of Israel was still being occupied and controlled by the Roman government. They were still being oppressed. And the message of Isaiah still rang out, comfort, comfort my people. God has not forgotten you where you are. Fast forward 2,000 years to where you are right here. You may be in a situation right now because of your health. You may be in a relationship challenge. You may have many financial problems. These may have nothing to do with decisions that you've made. They may have been decisions other people made. Or you yourself may have made decisions that have put you right where you are. But the message of Jesus is still comfort. 
comfort my people. God sees you where you are. He knows the struggle. He understands the pain and you are not forgotten. And God's arm is still mighty to save. But this reminds me of the cycle that we're born into, the cycle of sin. Because if your life is like mine and if our lives are like the pattern that Israel, of, of, of Israel that we read through the Bible, there's this pattern that we see where somebody sins and then there is, uh, from that sin, there is suffering. And then the suffering leads the person to say, I'm sorry, God, will you rescue me? Will you save me? And then God rescues and redeems. So you've got sin, suffering, redemption, and, and this cycle goes on and on. You see it through the nation of Israel from the whole Old Testament all the way to the New Testament and right up to today. Because I find myself taking matters into my own hands, making my own decisions, and then finding myself suffering as a consequence of that, crying out to God, saying, God, would you save me? And then God in his mercy always reaches out and he rescues me and the pattern goes on and on and on. And Jesus offers us comfort to say, God will redeem you. He will rescue you. Even as you continue to live in the cycle of your own sin, he offers comfort to us in the curse. He offers us comfort in the brokenness, but he doesn't want to leave you there. Which leads us to the second thing we learn about Jesus, that Jesus requires change. He requires change. Look at verse three and four of Isaiah chapter 40. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low and the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain. Now, if that sounds familiar, it probably should because it's in a lot of Christmas songs, but it is also a passage of scripture that is repeated in all four gospels as it talks about the arrival of John the Baptist who was Jesus' cousin, who went out to prepare the way for Jesus. He was preaching out in the desert. Now, what's interesting about this passage is that when you look at Mark chapter one, uh, you can find in verse two through five, the story of John the Baptist. Here's what it says. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I am sending a, my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. Now the most popular version of the Christmas story is found in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2 and we all think it's the story of the birth of, of a baby Jesus but it's actually the story of two babies that are born. If you read Luke 1 and Luke 2, there are two babies that are in both announced and both born. One is Jesus, but the other is John the Baptist, who it says, just like Isaiah said, would go into the desert and would preach this message to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, when Isaiah told it, what did he say? He said, you're going to make straight the highway in the desert. You're going to lower the mountains and raise the valleys. When, when John showed up, started preaching, he said, I'm preparing the way of the Lord and you should repent of your sins, confess your sins and repent. So what John is saying and what Isaiah is saying is, are the same things, they're just saying it in different ways. When Isaiah says you should make straight the highway in the desert, what he's really saying is if you were to look down a crooked highway, you wouldn't be able to see very far. But if you were to make the highway straight, you would be able to see down the highway for a long way. You want to lower the mountains because they block the view. 
You want to raise the valley because you can't see what's hidden in the valley. You want to make the rough places plain so that you can see the approach of your God. Prepare the way of the Lord by making everything straight and plain and clear for his arrival. When John shows up, what does he say? He he says, repent of your sins, confess your sins and repent. Those are the same message because here's what is true. Your sin is what keeps you from seeing clearly that God has come to you. Your brokenness is what prevents you from understanding the fullness of God's comfort in your life. That in the middle of our scar, our sin-scarred world, God took on flesh and came and appeared among us. But so many people missed his arrival. So many people didn't see it. And why couldn't they see it? They couldn't see it because of their own sin. You think of the story of Herod, King Herod, who had all the baby boys killed because of his own desire to hold on to power. You think of the story of the Pharisees and their pride throughout the ministry of Jesus. Even Pilate at the end where he failed to, failed to understand or, or believe what was obviously right before him, the Son of God who had come as the Savior of the world. And even Jesus' own disciples failed to see Jesus for who he was. Sin prevents you from seeing God. It obstructs your view of God. And what Isaiah is saying and what John is saying is if you want to prepare the way for the Lord to come into your life, you have to make the rough places in your life plain. You have to remove the hills and the mountains of sin. You have to fill in the valleys of all the brokenness. You have to, you have to change if you are going to see clearly the God who has already come to you to meet you in your brokenness and in the middle of your sin. See, Jesus offers comfort knowing that God's arm is mighty to save, but there, there is hope. But God does not want to leave you in that condition. He invites you to make a change. He invites you to make straight the path in your own life. And here's why that's important. Because there are other people who are looking at you and your sin and your brokenness may be obstructing their view of God as well. So are you willing in your own life to make straight the highway to make it clear who God is. Most people who leave churches leave churches because they have an obscured understanding of who God is because they were looking at humans who themselves were broken people. That, that as people look at us, do they see clearly the God that we worship? This is why it's important that we make straight in the desert a highway for our God, preparing the way of the Lord. Which leads us to the third thing Isaiah shows us about Jesus in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 5, Jesus brings clarity. Jesus brings clarity. Look what it says in verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Now I've got a trick question for you. When Isaiah said this, and we sing this, and if you've ever sung Handel's Messiah or some of the great Christmas carols, this idea that the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, we talk about this at Christmas time. But, but did all flesh see Jesus together in his first arrival? They didn't. So many people missed it. So many people still miss it. I still miss it on a daily basis because I fail to see God for who he is because of my own brokenness, because of my own sin. I fail to, to make him known to others. But Jesus has come to be among us as God taking on flesh, revealing who God is to us if we will look at him. Another great Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, has a great line in it, veiled in flesh, 
the Godhead see, veiled in flesh, that God put on flesh and came to earth and lived among us to show us who God is. But many people, many people missed his first coming and many people still miss him, but no one will miss his second coming. It will be obvious to everyone. But in the meantime, in the meantime, we're invited to follow Jesus on the lifelong process of preparing the way in our hearts, in our lives, for the coming of the Savior. To make straight in our deserts the highway of God. To lower the mountains and to raise the valleys and to make the rough places plain. Every day that I get up, I'm called and invited to join Jesus in his great mission of changing the landscape of my life. And that's ultimately what Jesus has come to do. He has come to change the landscape of your life. All those things that you can't see clearly, all those truths of God that you can't see, all those, all those, all his God's desire, his mercy, his grace, his love that you fail to recognize, could it just be that it's not that God's not present? It's not that God hasn't provided. It's that the sin in your own life, the brokenness in your own life, or maybe the brokenness in other people has kept you from seeing it. Jesus wants to change the landscape of your life. Will you let him? Because Christmas is the message that God has come to us, that God will go to any length to reveal himself to you. If you're not seeing God, if you're not hearing from God, could it be, could it be that the pathway isn't straight, that the mountains are obscuring your view? Jesus doesn't want to leave you where you are, but you have to be willing to make the necessary changes. You have to be willing to join him in his redemptive effort. Are you willing to allow him to smooth out the rough places and fill in the valleys so that you can see God more clearly, but also so that other people in your life may see God more clearly in and through you? Now, my challenge for you, my practice for you this week is very churchy. It's got two very churchy words in it, but I can't find any better words for it than this because here's, here's what I think Isaiah 40 is inviting us to do to prepare the way of the Lord by repenting of our sin. To prepare the way of the Lord by repenting of our sin. Now there are two words in there, you've already picked up on them that are churchy, especially if you don't come to church very often. The first one is repenting and the second one is sin. Here's the problem. I could have said, prepare the way of the Lord by apologizing for your mistakes. It's not the same thing though, is it? Because a mistake is something that you don't do on purpose. But let's be real. When I sin, I do it on purpose. And so do you, right? A mistake is, is, is something you do on a math test. But a sin is something you plan for. And, and mistake doesn't begin to describe the mountains that I have built in my own life that obscure my view of God. Mistake doesn't begin to describe the valleys that I have carved out by my own willful disobedience. Mistake doesn't catch it. The only word that really captures it is the word sin. And, and an apology, you all know an apology isn't enough because you've had people who have wronged you and they've apologized and continued to live in that same way, doing those same things to you over and over again. You didn't want their apology. What did you want from them? You wanted from them a change of behavior. That word is repentance. That's what that word means. That we prepare the way of the Lord by repenting of our sin, which means we have to confess it. And it's hard work. 
If you've ever watched any excavation on a mountainside, it's hard work to remove the mountain. But when Isaiah and John said, prepare the way of the Lord, make, make the path straight in the desert, make the mountains low and fill the valleys in, this is the hard work that we're called to do, but we're not called to do it alone. We're called with the comfort and the knowledge that God has already done everything that's necessary for your salvation. He has spoken comfort over you, even in the middle of your sin, but he's inviting you to make changes so that you can see him more clearly. I can't think of a better time of year than Christmas to do this very thing, to do the hard work of preparing the way for the Lord so that we can see God more clearly and so that others can see God more clearly in us. People missed him the first time. In fact, they missed it so much that they nailed Jesus to a cross. And it's because of Jesus' death and resurrection that God still speaks to us Hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, comfort, comfort my people because Jesus has come to save us from our sin. Dear God, we thank you for the hope that we have, not just at Christmas time, but all year long, that you have spoken comfort into our lives, into our brokenness, that Lord, you didn't wait for us to make straight the path. You came to us in flesh, in the middle of our brokenness, and revealed yourself in Jesus. Lord, would you now allow us to do the hard work of making straight in the desert the highway that we could see you more clearly? Would you help us as we try to remove every mountain of sin in our own life that keeps us from seeing and hearing you and understanding you, and that keeps others from seeing you in us? God, would you do this deep and abiding work in your people this Christmas season? So that as we proclaim the good news that Jesus has come into the world, Lord, at the same time, we'll be preparing for you to come again when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Aspire Church podcast. If what you've heard has been helpful, please subscribe and rate our podcast and share it with a friend. If you'd like to support the ministry of Aspire Church or want someone to contact you personally, please visit our website at aspirejacks.org.